Now Donna's coming forward to read the scripture, but before she does, I wanna tell you a little bit about this. When I first thought about coming here to Lakeview, I thought, what will I preach about? And I wondered, what will be my first sermon about? And God gave me a word. God gave me a word through his spirit of Genesis 11 and 12. And it's about the call of Abram, Abram, later known as Abraham. And in that call, God extends a blessing to Abraham in order that he be a blessing. And just like Abram, we are given blessings from God so that we can be a blessing to our friends, our neighbors, our family, all those in the community. So we are blessed to be a blessing. We are inspired by God's word and his Holy Spirit. Let's pray for inspiration. Come Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see your word. Open our ears to listen to your voice carefully. Open our hearts to receive Jesus Christ. Open our lips so that we may proclaim your grace. Open our lives so that we may become a blessing, a blessing to family, friends, and neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's, Today's reading is Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through Genesis chapter 12, verse 9, and it can be found on page 9 in your pew Bibles. Now these are the descendants of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahar, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his birth, in Or, of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and Nahor, sorry, and the name of Nahar's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Eschar. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's wife. And they went out together from Or of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. 
From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Here comes Abram. Otherwise known as Abraham, the name had not yet been given by God, is Abram, striding into the picture. And he doesn't say a lot. He's rather quiet. He's a man of action. He's a man who obeys the word of the Lord. As Abram comes into focus, we can see his limitations. We notice human limits on the great patriarch of the ancient Near East. The curse of death that affected all of humanity had also invaded his family. The first one to die was his brother, Haran. His brother, Haran, died prematurely. We don't know the cause of his death. Was it an accident or injury? Was it an illness or tragedy? The text doesn't tell us. Nevertheless, his brother, Haran, died early. And this must have caused great grief to the family. In fact, it caused Lot, Abram's nephew, to become an orphan. But fortunately for Lot, the family embraced him. And the family showed care and compassion by welcoming Lot into the extended family. Later, Abram's father, Terah, passed away at the ripe old age of 205. Can you imagine living past 200? It's a great accomplishment in today's day and age to live past 100. But Terah lived 200 years. He was up there in years, but death, death at any age is difficult emotionally, as we're well aware, as we've seen parents and grandparents pass. And no matter how old they are, it leaves an empty place in our hearts. Overall, this was a family marked by grief and grieving. But the harsh reality that jumps off the page for me is infertility. Verse 30 states, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, was barren, and then it repeats, she had no child. That's often true in Hebrew scriptures. That's often true in the Old Testament scriptures, that we have this poetic repetition. She was barren. They had no children. But it's painful, isn't it? Perhaps some of you know someone, or you've experienced it directly, the great problem of infertility. And I'm not going to be here to minimize that one bit, because Rose and I have experienced this to some degree. We had our first child um, rather suddenly and expectedly, but our second one took some time. We had something known as secondary infertility. Have any of you heard that before? Secondary infertility. In other words, we had trouble having a second child. But after five and a half years, our daughter Annalise was born. In fact, I'll tell you a little side note of that story. We went to a fertility clinic, and um, there was all these pictures on the walls of multiples, twins, triplets, quads, you name it, maybe six, maybe seven, I don't know. But it overwhelmed me, all the pictures of multiples on the wall. And we went into the doctor's office, and he sat there at his desk and said, how may I help you? And I said, we want a child, but we just want one. But for those of you that have experienced this, my heart goes out to you. I know how difficult it can be because 
in that five and a half year period, month after month, we'd have this sense of expectation, followed by disappointment that would dash our hopes. And we can wonder too, like what it was that Abram and Sarai experienced. These, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade of disappointment and discouragement. Chapter 12 informs us that at this moment in time, God had given Abram 75 years. And even though he promised great things for Abram at this moment in time, it would be another 25 years before Isaac was born. Abram was a century old. He was 100 years old. But in that culture, it was absolutely critical for a family to have a child because the child would become an heir and inherit the property, inherit the sheep, the goats, the tents of a nomadic people. Now, Abram means exalted father. And later when his name was changed to Abraham, it means um, father of many. So you can see the irony in this because if his name was father, he was childless. What kind of a father was he if he had no children? He was not even the father of one, but they were the father of none. They were unable to become pregnant. The couple had no children. They were weighed down by disappointment and discouragement. He may have been exalted at the time. He may have had status and prominence within his community, but at the time he had no kids. He was not a father. He was waiting, waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. And isn't that true for us a lot of the times that the Christian life is spent waiting? God makes these great promises, but we wait in eager expectation. That's why we have hope and trust in the promises of God. But at the time, it felt less like a blessing and more like a curse. And as the clock ticked and the years uh, evaporated, he wasn't getting any younger either. And isn't that true for us too? We're not getting any younger either. I remember a few years ago, I came to New York and at the time I was living in Iowa and I visited my parents who live in Marion over on the east side of Rochester. And I, I was struck with how old my parents were getting. So I came home and went out to eat with my friend and I said to him, my parents are getting older. And he said to me, Rick, I hate to break this to you, but we're all getting older. And I don't know why, but that statement of the obvious really struck me. Even though it was obvious, that was my reality. I'm getting older, they're getting older. We're all getting older each day. And, and that's something to think about, that as we age, what are we doing with the time that we're giving? It's profound. But sometimes we can consider our age to be a limitation. We may not have the youth or vitality of days gone by. We're well aware of our human limits. We don't have the boundless energy that we once had. We don't spring out of bed like a coiled spring, eager to face the day. Now we know that we're blessed. We've been given physical and spiritual blessings in abundance. These are things we thank God for on Thanksgiving and every Sunday that we come to worship God, even every day of the week, we can thank God for all the physical and spiritual blessings. And there's even reminders in this church. As I walked through the narthex, I saw a pillow on the couch that said, blessed. And, and it, 
it's true, isn't it? I'm blessed, you're blessed, we are blessed. Blessed by God. But sometimes we feel otherwise. In a commentary I read while preparing for the sermon, there was this quote from Frederick Horst. Blessing brings the power for life, the enhancement of life, and the increase of life. But ever since the fall of Adam and Eve and into sin, humanity has been cursed by the curse of death. As it says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. And even since I've been here, I've heard stories from some of you about beloved family members and church members that have passed away. And, and when they pass away, it leaves an empty place in our hearts and even sometimes an empty place in our pews. We know that we're blessed to be a blessing, but we're well aware of limitations as individuals and as a church. And as a small church, we face limited resources. Human resources, financial resources are limited. And God, he presents big opportunities in spite of our obstacles. However, we don't always feel so great about it all. Our eyes look down to see limitations instead of looking up to see boundless possibilities. We really do want to make a big splash, a big impact, but with only so many people and so much energy, what are we to do? What is Abram to do? His situation looked bleak, death, infertility, old age. From a human perspective, it was more despair than hope. It felt less like a blessing and more like a curse but God, God can turn an impossible situation upside down, can't he? He can take what seems to be impossible for hum humanity and make it possible. As Christ said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So in the midst of Abram's pain, God's voice shattered the silence. All at once, God showed up and God spoke words of calling. And like I mentioned earlier, for whatever reason, I think the author of Genesis and the Holy Spirit is making a point here. Abram is silent. Abram is the listener. God is the one who speaks. God who want, is the one who speaks hope into a despairing situation. God speaks encouragement into a discouraging situation. God speaks words that lift a person up that lift Abram and Sarai, this childless couple, up. And he speaks these wonderful, encouraging words of benediction, words of blessing. Hear the word of the Lord that comes so abruptly into Abram's reality. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of earth shall be blessed. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And in those three short verses in our Bible, there are five words of blessing. Either bless or blessing occurs five times. And one of the authors that I consulted in prepping for the sermon reminded me that in Genesis 1, all the way to Genesis 11, all the way from Adam to Noah, we only see recorded 
five words of blessing. So in 11 chapters, five words of blessing. In three verses, five words of blessing. God is the one who blesses. And to Abram, to Father Abraham, God gives not only a blessing, but an overflow of blessing, an overabundance of blessing, more than enough to affect him, more than enough to affect his family, more than enough to affect his neighborhood, but enough to influence the entire world. That's what God does. He takes an impossible situation and turns it upside down. Blessed to be a blessing. In fact, uh, Bruce Waltke says that God selected Abram to be his means or channel of blessing. He further explains that God blesses Abraham to be his blessing bearer. In other words, Abram was a mediator of the blessing of God. And isn't that how God works oftentimes? God uses people like you, like me, to give blessings to others. He gives his spirit to you and to me and to us in order to be a blessing. In Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, we become channels through which the blessing of God flows. In his abundant grace, God chooses us, even as God selected Abram to be his blessing bearers within the community. What an honor. Now, the fulfillment of God's promises didn't happen overnight. In fact, what I told you earlier was that at the time of this reading, Abram was 75 years old. It took another 25 years in order for the promises to begin to be enacted. From 75 to 100, Abram waited. Now, earlier I told you that Rose and I had to wait five and a half years. Abram had to wait five times as long as that. Imagine the faith of this patriarch to go where God told him, to believe in the promises, to trust in God, to have patience in the promises of God. The final promise is that in you, all the families of earth shall be blessed. This promise was not fulfilled in Abram's lifetime, but centuries later. The New Testament makes the connection. In fact, Matthew 1 helps us to make the connection. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are two genealogies of Jesus. The one in Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam, the first man in the Garden of Eden. But Matthew, for whatever reason, starts with Abraham. He starts with the great father, who's considered the father of at least three faith groups, Islam, the Jews, and Christianity, because Abraham is the father of all those who believe. Listen to the words of Matthew 1, verse 1. Jesus, family tree. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Later in the family tree, we see other familiar names like Jesse, King David, Solomon, until finally we arrive at Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Jesus, the Savior of the world, came from the seed of Abraham. Jesus, 
the Savior of us, of all who believe, came from the man who had faith in God's promises. In fact, through an old man and his barren wife came a child of promise, Isaac. Centuries later came the child of promise, Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, arrived dramatically onto the scene. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and what a blessing he is to you and to me. Through Abraham's most famous descendant, all families, all nations, all peoples on earth have been blessed. It's a promise that was fulfilled not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, the nations of the world. And it's a blessing that overflows. It's more than enough. It simply cannot be contained. That's a great reason to praise the Lord. So we follow in the footsteps of the patriarch Abram. Because when God says go, he went. And they didn't have cars, trains, or planes back then. They had to walk. They had to wear out their sandals. So Abram walked. He was a sojourner in the land. And he walked to a place, and he pitched his tents, and he grazed his flocks, his, his sheep, and his goats, and they found a place uh, where there was water and where there was food. But what did he do? He built an altar unto the Lord. And then when he pulled up his tent pegs and moved to another place and settled down as a sojourner, as a, as a nomadic person that, that brought sheep and goats into the situation, what did he do? He built another altar unto the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. He invoked the name of the Lord at this altar where he made sacrifices to the Lord our God. God's word tells us that Abram called on the name of the Lord. And that's why we're here, isn't it? To call on the name of the Lord. In a week of busyness, in, in a week of distractions, we have a place like this where we can sing and pray and worship and call on the name of the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? To have a place like this where we can gather and call on the name of the Lord. We praise him. And it's our response to all the blessings. We've been given numerous physical blessings. In fact, if we count them up on our fingers and toes, we run out of places to count. We run out of toes and fingers to count up all the physical and spiritual blessings. For God has given us life and new life in Christ. God gives us the air to breathe and, and food to eat. But he also gives us spiritual food and drink at his table. For those who believe our sins are forgiven and we've re received salvation, the glorious gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we don't just have our biological family, but we have our church family. Uh, you are the family of God. You are my sister. You are my brother. You are my sibling in Christ. What an incredible blessing. However, the blessing is not meant to be kept for ourselves. The blessings flow like a river, but they were never meant for us to, to soak up like a sponge and keep for ourselves. No, the blessings were meant to be shared. It's kind of like a cup in which you pull out, pour out water, but you don't stop pouring, and, and the water flows up over the top. And the water flows over the top to irrigate the world and, and to quench the thirst of a world that's spiritually dry. God brings life and wholeness and peace. He's the living water. Jesus is the water of life that hydrates the world. It quenches the thirst 
of a thirsty world. It quenches our thirst too, doesn't it? People of God, like Abram, you are blessed to be a blessing. God blesses you for a purpose in order to bless other people. God blesses you, like Abram, so that you can bless the neighborhood. As God spoke to Abram, he speaks to us. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. But how do we do that? How do we implement this in our daily lives? How do we implement this in our church life? Well, one observation that I have is your hospitality. Sometimes we have to take a strength and make it stronger. And one of your strengths as a church, Lakeview, is your hospitality. That's part of the reason why Rose and I came here in the first place, because you were very hospitable to us. And we recognize that your hospitality is not just to us as pastor and wife, but to your community. You share your parking lot with the bird watchers. You, you share your fellowship hall with the Boy Scouts, with Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, with, with the cottage associations. You share this space with the community. But more importantly, you share your love. You share your hearts with those who come here. On the phone this past week with a congregant, I asked her, what does she like about Lakeview? She said, we have amazing people. They're friendly people who are there for each other to love and support. And another person that I spoke with later in the week said that when he first came to Lakeview, he found a warm welcome, and he was made to feel right away like he belonged, like he was this prodigal son coming home. He found a home here. Now, the quality of our hospitality can be a mark of blessing for our community. It's a stepping stone for outreach. Now, one thing for those of you that have seen my office is before this week, it was a nightmare of boxes. Well, one thing we did um, this past week, Rose and I, is unpack the boxes. And in the boxes were books and folders. And one of the folders, whatever, just kind of called out my name and said, open me, Rick. And so I opened that folder and looked at it, and a page kind of fell out of that folder. And it was an article called Hospitality as Normative in the Missional Church by Kevin Schutte, someone that I know. Well, Mr. Schutte wrote this article, and it's only one page long, and I'm willing to share it with you if you're interested. He wrote this amazing article about how hospitality can be a stepping stone towards outreach. It can help us to be a blessing to our community. Kevin writes, part of being a church on mission is creating a place where everybody knows your name. A real community that really cares for each other. A neighborhood place where laughter finds company and tears are not shed alone. A community where kinship with friends and strangers can take root and flourish. I wonder sometimes, have we missed the mark of Christian living, loving your neighbor, and practicing hospitality? Could our churches be the place where people go to belong, where you could feel that everybody knows your name and smiles were what greeted you when you entered the building? This does and can happen in a church. So people of God, continue, keep on 
practicing hospitality in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. And allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow within you and among us, to inspire you, to energize you, to be a blessing. Don't forget to practice hospitality and remember that like Abram, we are blessed to be a blessing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all the blessings. And, And we know, Lord, that you've given us your spirit and your word to encourage us and to help us understand that we are blessed with a purpose in mind, to be a blessing. So energize us, inspire us through your Holy Spirit, that we may be a blessing to others by showing love and patiently practicing hospitality, caring for the neighbor in the love of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.